ask that uh, if you don't have a Bible or own one, keep the one we're passing out. Bring it back next week. Take notes. Write in it. Do whatever you want. Uh, but Philippians chapter 3 is where we're at. So we are in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. We are flying through this book. It's like our 11th week, and we are finally in chapter 3. It is great. Um, but I am really enjoying, really enjoying this book. Uh, if you are new, let me just kind of catch up to speed with where we're at, what we're doing. Uh, we're going through the book of Philippians, and there are a lot of different themes we picked up on, one being obviously joy. That's what Philippians is known for. Paul is writing this book from prison while chained to a soldier 24-7, and he's writing primarily about joy. He's saying, uh, what happens to you does not have to control you. That our joy is not based on circumstances, but it's based on a person. And so Paul's in prison writing primarily about joy. And our theme kind of from Philippians, because I really do think this is kind of the thesis statement of Paul, is Philippians 1.27, where he says, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. And he writes really about how you and I are citizens of heaven. And here's why that's so important. Uh, we talked about how Philippi, this was the first church plant on the continent of Europe. So understand, this book, the book of Philippians, changes Western culture, it changes our culture, it changes our history. I mean, this is literally the first church on the continent of Europe, as I mentioned, based in basically Macedonia, or nowadays Greece, in that area. And Paul is writing to them and saying, listen, I know that you are citizens of Rome. I know you have certain rights. I know that you get certain tax breaks. I know because you are Roman citizens, you boast in your Roman citizenship. But he goes, but the goal is not to bring Rome to Philippi. The goal is to bring heaven to Philippi. And so that is our desire here. We want to be a church where Jesus said, pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our hope as a church is how do we be an extension of heaven to earth? How do we bring in God's kingdom, God's culture, the culture of God's grace, of God's love, of the person of Jesus? There is no kingdom without a king, and that king is Jesus. And our hope is how do we be an extension of heaven to earth? So we're calling this really a colony of heaven. We want to be a colony. We want to be a little gateway, in a sense, to heaven, like a taste of heaven, where people come in here and say, wow, there's love, there's grace, there's yes, there's brokenness, yes, there's pain, yes, there's a bunch of broken people, but we're all seeking the healer together. And so we want this to be an extension, in a sense, of heaven to earth. And so that's kind of our hope. Now, if you're with us last week, last week's me message was basically on spiritual friendship. Paul writes about two of his boys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he goes, hey, follow these men. These are great examples. We talked about character is caught more than taught. We looked at certain spiritual dynamics of friendships. One being a shared passion, which was Jesus. One being a common loyalty to each other. And really, we saw that they not just had passion, they had loyalty, but they had great sacrifice. They sacrificed greatly for the gospel and for each other. And so we talked about spiritual friendships and that dynamic. Now, here we are in chapter 3, verse 1. And Paul kind of changes tones and writes a little bit about himself. And, and here's, here's what I know I can be guilty of, but we're coming across, um, I think, one of the most epic parts of scripture. And I can say that every week, I know. Um, but Philippians 3, verse 1 through 11. And really, honestly, Philippians chapter 3 in general is one of those texts that we wish we could preach on every week. Where Paul's basically just saying, I just want to know Jesus. I just want to be found in Jesus. Everything, my whole life, my whole past, my, all my achievements, it doesn't matter compared to Jesus. And this is one of those, it's just so gospel-saturated and gospel-rich. It just does something for our soul that we need. This is a passage we could go back to often. Um, I, this is something where us, we say this at church, like, because this is so true, that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily, remind ourselves of who God is, be reminded of who we are and who we are in Christ. And so this is just such a rich passage of scripture. And it's funny, this morning, my, my son, he was getting ready, and it was 
it was one of those moments where you're like, I have to write this down and never forget this. He goes, Dad. And he's like, in the other room. I'm like, yeah. He goes, Jesus is right here. And I'm like, right where? And he comes out, he goes, he's right here. And he, he, was, he walks in, he goes, Jesus is right here. He goes, I f-, he goes, I feel Jesus. And I'm like, you know, you're like a dad, like tearing up, like, what? He's like, do you want to feel Jesus? Put your hand right here. I'm like, I do want to feel Jesus. And I put my hand there. And, and listen, when I just hear him say that and read that, I feel like this is Paul, but he's not a child. It's like really cute with Michael. But he's going, I found Jesus and he's right here. And this is so beautiful, and this is so rich, and God has just melted away the stubborn, hard places of my heart that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. You just, you just see Paul's heart here going, I found Jesus, he's right here. And he's basically saying, do you want to experience Jesus? Do you want to feel Jesus? And this is the text today. So I want to just read through this. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read this, verse 1 through 11, then we'll pray and look at it more in depth. And really, the, the title today, you could simply say, or, or it's kind of our points today. It's really, it's religion. It's religion, resumes, and the remedy. Religion, resumes, and the remedy. And this is like the first time my title is also my points. All right, so Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. (laughs) Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray, and we'll look at this more in depth. Father, we thank you so much for this truth. God, religion fails us. Our resume fails us. But Jesus, you never fail us. And and our hope is to be found in you. God, my hope is that everyone in this room individually will be found in you that their faith would be transferred, the righteousness of you, Jesus, would be transferred to their account by their faith in you. Lord, we thank you for this time we get to study your word, to worship you, to sing to you. Let us not just go through the motions, God, of just maybe seeing a new song or reading some new scripture. Lord, we just ask that your spirit would do something fresh in our lives, that we would worship you in spirit, as Paul said, that let that be true, that we'd place no confidence in the flesh, that we'd rejoice in Christ Jesus. Just speak to our hearts, move in this place, God, remove even certain mindsets we have about our own righteousness. And I ask God that you would um, just do something that only you can do in your name. Amen. Here in Philippians 3, Paul is giving us a spiritual resume. 
Now, a couple weeks ago, I did talk about the similarities between a resume and a eulogy. We won't get into that now. Uh, but with the resume, we, we look at is this. Uh, it talks about your achievements, your skills, your qualifications. It's kind of a way to kind of promote yourself to say, here's why you need, need me. Here's why I'm the man for the job. Here's why. And so it, Paul is, in a sense, he walks through his resume. And I was going to br- this morning bring in like my resume, and, like, sh- but that's not one, that's not impressive. Uh, two, it's just kind of boring. So I actually have here something I thought would be more helpful kind of to illustrate. Uh, I have a friend, because I was trying to make a resume visible, like visual. How do I do this? So I have a buddy who was in the Scouts. And maybe you've seen a merit badge sash. I don't know if you have. Uh, this is pretty cool to me. So I have a buddy who's a, who's a I don't know, do we need Boy Scouts in here? Girl Scouts? No. Okay. So uh, I believe there's about 110 million people that have went through Boy Scouts in some capacity. 110 million since it opened in like 1912, I think. 110 million people. Out of those 110 million people, there's about two and a half million Eagle Scouts. Now, this guy here is an Eagle Scout. Uh, An Eagle Scout, it's pretty impressive. Like if you are an Eagle Scout, since we don't have any Boy Scouts, we probably don't have any Eagle Scouts, I'm guessing. Uh, But an Eagle Scout is something that you can put on your resume. It's like, yo, this person's an Eagle Scout, right? Like, that's pretty epic. Now, not only that, he's a Boy Scout, he's an Eagle Scout, but this guy is actually one of, I think is 405 now, one of 405 people that actually got all of the merit badges while they're around like their lifetime. So the amount you could get while you were a Scout, he literally got every merit badge. Not only is he one of 110 million or two and a half million, he's one of 405 people. So that means he actually needs two sashes, right? (laughs) He's like, I can't carry all my merits on one sash. I need two sashes. Now, I do have to put this on because I just feel like I want to feel the power. Really quick. Oh my gosh. So I was talking to him, uh, and I actually, do you not see, oh, I don't know if I put it on right. I'm so sorry. Probably goes at crisscross. Um... (laughs) But right now, I'm clothed in my buddy's righteousness, if you can see. Now, I really do, when you look at this, and you go to a, I can't imagine going to a scout meeting and walking with two sashes, and like, the chosen one's here! Like, bow. I just wonder what that was like, and it's funny, when we actually got this from his his mom, because how else do you get sashes from a boy scout other than from his mom? Um, When we got (laughs) these sashes, it's basically like, do not lose these. This is a family heirloom. We will kill you. We will find you. This is worth more than our whole family. Like, this is all my child's labor, so, I'm, so that's why it's in a, bo- a box. I don't know. But um, it's funny. If you get a chance, you can actually come up here and, like, look later at some of these merit badges, right? And you kind of see, like, wow, like, there's a little airplane. He probably did something in the airplane. I don't know. A little fire. He started fire. Like, you see every little thing <laughs> that he has accomplished. He had all the merit badges. Now, I'm, I'm bringing this up because here's what we do. I think we do this spiritually. I think spiritually we go, God, look it. I got the prayer badge. I prayed more than 50 hours in my lifetime. I got the little church badge. I've gone to ch- church now for like at least five years or more, right? We got the tithe, ba- tithe badge. We don't really have a lot of those these days, but hey, the tithe, that's something that I got, I've attained, I've worked up towards. Here's what I'm trying to point out. I really do think that so often, and it might not be as visual as this, but really think through this with me. So often, we try to promote to God our spiritual resume. And I think we try to promote to each other our spiritual resume with these little badges of, look what I've done. I've gone on three missions trips and they're third world countries. You went to a first world country. How dare you? Like we really do try to like promote what we've done for Christ as a badge of honor, as a badge of I'm a superior Christian. And here's what Paul does. Paul goes, you think you have merit? You think you've done some great things? Look at my track record and it's all rubbish. 
You see, we all have this tendency to want to promote our spiritual resume, to be clothed in our righteousness, and before God it falls so short. And this is what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, let's stop. Let's stop trying to promote our righteousness. Let's stop acting like because we read this teacher, listen to this person, and you listen to that person, I am more superior than to you in your faith. Because you like that version of worship, and I like this version of worship, I'm actually more superior because my worship taste is better. Like, we do this all the time. We promote our righteousness rather than the gospel and Christ's righteousness. We do this in different ways. And here's why I'm saying this, because this was flooding into the church. There are people coming into the church trying to mix Old Testament law with the gospel of grace, and Paul's like, it's not going to happen here. They're trying to really find their righteousness by the keeping of the law and keeping of the ceremonial laws as well and saying, look it, not only do we believe in Jesus, but we also do this. You need to join us in this. And Paul's like, we're not going to boast in that. We're not going to pursue that. We're going to pursue Christ's righteousness on our account, not our righteousness. And that is something we want to fight for and fend for here. So here's, as we walk through this text, we're going to look at religion in verse 1 through 3. We're going to look at resume, Paul's resume compared to their resume. So resumes in verse 4 through 6. And then we're going to look at their remedy in verse 7 through 11, if we have that up there. So religion, resumes, and the remedy. So let's read verse 1. Let's read Paul talk about religion. Verse 1, Philippians 3, verse 1. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious for you to save. I love this about Paul. Paul in chapter 3, verse 1, is like, Finally, almost like I'm coming to an end. And then he keeps writing for two more chapters. That's like a pastor's like, hey, in conclusion, 30 minutes later, right? Like, I'm sorry. But he's finally, my brethren, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And he goes, you know what? I know I've said this already, but it's not tedious. It's safe. We've said this over and over again. We're actually going to do a sermon simply on rejoice in the Lord in chapter four, because Paul just over and over and over and over again, he goes, hey, rejoice in the Lord. Hey, I know you've heard that one before, but this is safe for you. You see, there's something about repeating yourself. You know, it's, I think I read something recently. It's kind of sad. It was, we retain about 25% of the things we hear, and only if we hear it twice. And that might have been like a stretch. So Paul's like, I need to repeat myself. See, a good teacher will always repeat themselves. A good teacher will always repeat themselves. A good, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Paul's saying, though, hey, it's safe for me to do this. And here's how I want to put this, or you can write this down this way. You can't apply what you don't remember. You can't apply what you don't remember. There's some of those things where you gotta like, I, was, I remember being in high school, like taking a test, and like, God, give me the answer to this. He's like, you never studied. I can't, how do I bring to your memory things you've never put in your memories? Ah, oh, you're right. Right, so there's some of these things where like, let's, let's study this. Let's get into this. There will be times where you'll be walking on the road and Philippians 3 verse 1 will come to your mind, my brethren rejoice in the Lord. Just that phrase. He'll be like, okay, I'm gonna rejoice in the Lord at this moment. And again, he says, for me, it's, sa- it's safe to say the same thing over and over again. If you ever feel like I'm or another teacher is repeating themselves, there's a side of it where it's like, we need the gospel reiterated over and over and over. Why do we preach it every day? Because we need it every day. So it's one of those things where we got to do this. And then a- along those lines, when he says rejoice in the Lord, you know what he's doing next in verse 2? He's saying, here are those who steal joy. All right, so he says, rejoice in the Lord, beware of dogs. So here, when he says beware of dogs, he's going, rejoice in the Lord, but beware of those who will try to steal your joy. Because religion will try to steal your joy. Verse 2. He says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. All right, so 
Paul says, beware of these dogs, these evil workers. He's not talking about like Fido. When you read that verse, I remember I heard, I don't even mention this, like years ago, like 12 years ago, I heard a pastor teach on this verse and he literally told a dog story for like 30 minutes. And it was like the end. And I was like, wait, that was not, that's not what he's talking about. So when Paul says, beware of dogs, what is he talking about here? He's saying, beware of these people called the circumcision. They're also known as the Judaizers. They were people, as I mentioned, they mix Old Testament law with grace. They're people who do, they're Jews back in Paul's day, who they did believe in Jesus. They're like a sect of really more Judaism. They say, we believe in Jesus, but you need to believe in Jesus and obey the law and have, perform these ceremonial laws and get circumcised. So they go to people and say, awesome, you believe in Jesus. Now, next thing you got to do is get circumcised. Turn to your neighbor and say, ouch, right? You can do that, ouch. <laughs> um, welcome to church. We are talking about circ- circumcision for just a second. Uh, here's the idea. Paul's, Paul was dealing with a p- group of people that were taking the emphasis off of grace and onto their works. And this was happening in every city Paul would go to. He'd plant a church, preach the gospel. People would come in and say, hey, make sure you do these, all these, these law things. Make sure you get circumcised now. If you really, Jesus is a Jew, remember, so if you want to be a Jew, get circumcised. And they would add to the law or the gospel of grace. And so Paul is saying, beware of these people. Beware of the mutilation. Why are they called the mutilation? Because they would say, hey, adults, you want to become a true follower of Jesus? Get circumcised. There was literally people who would like fact check and make sure, like, hey, are you circumcised? Bill, check on him. Like, that's a, I can't imagine that job. Like, I don't want this job. I'm good, no more. But it's like, hey, make sure they've gone this far. Paul was so furious. And um, this was a real problem. And you got to see why this is important today. This was a real po- problem. Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 12, says this about them. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul was not happy with them. He's like, you're adults. They're trying to circumcise, circumcise you. I just wish they'd cut themselves off completely. That's literally what Paul says. That's the Bible, not me. Paul is saying, I do not, these people, what they're doing, how they're adding to the gospel is dangerous. And this is something he's trying to call out. And here's why this is so important. Paul says, we are the circumcision. They walk around saying, hey, get circumcised. He goes, we we are the true spiritual circumcision. What does that mean? Write down Romans chapter 2, verse 29. It says this, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter. Again, He's a Jew who's one inwardly. Circumcision is that of the heart. The idea behind circumcision before Jesus' day in the Old Testament, Abraham is basically saying, hey, cut off this part of your body that is sensitive, that is private, that is personal. One, it's a covenant to know that you're in relationship with me. But two, I want you to cut away that area of your life that's very private and personal. Paul is saying, hey, that was an outward thing of what God ultimately wanted to do inwardly, saying there are some personal things in your heart there are some, there's some fleshly things in your heart I want to cut away at. I want circumcision not to be an outward thing, but an inward thing. We're going to cut away the sensitive areas of your heart. Can I tell you, the gospel does this. The gospel is, hey, that thing that you love so much, that you value so much, I need to cut it out. It's, it's something that's taking the place of Christ. It needs to be cut out. There is a side of it where it's not about these external things, but these internal things. Now, with that, I want you to keep this in mind. This is so true, and this needs to be said really clearly. Salvation isn't subtraction from your life or addition. It's substitution. Please hear that. Salvation, to be saved, to be right with God, isn't about subtraction or addition. It's not. So some Christians teach this. If you want to be a true follower of Jesus, cut this out, cut this out, cut this out. Therefore, you are a Christian, right? It's like if you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this. Your Christianity is defined by what you don't do. Or there's others that's defined by just what you do. If you add this to your life and add this and add these spiritual disciplines, if you add this, now you're a Christian. Paul says it's not subtraction, it's not addition, it's substitution. It's Jesus taking my place. That is salvation. 
is there some things in our life we probably need to cut out? Yeah. Is there some things we probably need to add to our life? Of, of course. But is that my salvation? No. It's substitution. It's Christ. Another way of putting it is being saved is not a matter of what you can add to your life or what you can take away from your life. It's about taking on Jesus as your life. It's not about what you can add or take away. Just t- take Jesus on as your life. Follow Jesus. Know Jesus. Make Jesus the epicenter of everything you do. Make him the lens by which you view everything. By taking Jesus on as your life, that is the idea. See, religion never sees the sufficiency of Jesus. With religion, it's like, Jesus is great. We love Jesus here. We worship Jesus here. But make sure you also, and add, and it's always this but or an and. And it's just Jesus. They never see the sufficiency of Jesus. That's the issue. See, you know, do you see Paul's description of a believer in verse 3? He goes, we are the circumcision how? We worship God in the spirit. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. And there's no confidence in the flesh. Hey, what a good definition. I think, like, I would love for this to be said about us individually, us corporately. Do we worship God in the Spirit? Do you rejoice in Christ Jesus? Do you take confidence in yourself and the things you do? Or is your confidence in Christ and what he's done? He's describing, here's what it truly looks like. So Paul is saying, watch out for religion. Watch out for this idea of cutting things or adding things to your life. Make Jesus everything. In the process, you will cut things out and add things, but that will not save you. It's Jesus Christ and him only. And now he moves on and says, let me actually tell you about my resume. Because you think you're pretty good. You have a good resume. Let me talk about my resume. So let's keep reading. Number, uh, number two, point number two, we're going to look at resumes, verse four. He says, though I also, verse four, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, only Paul can say this, um, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. What is Paul doing here? He's going, hey, Judaizers, you think because you're Jews who've been circumcised and keep some part of the law and you believe in Jesus, you think you're good? Let me tell you about my story. So Paul's going through his resume. Now, if you've ever like slowed down and read this resume, we'll like throw these up here one by one so you can kind of see this. He was circumcised the eighth day. Why does it matter? He's basically saying, I was born into a Jewish family. Uh, By blood, I'm Jewish. My parents obeyed the law. You're supposed to get circumcised the eighth day. That was me. I got circumcised. Like, he's like, that's, this is how it's ingrained into my DNA. I'm, I'm not someone who converted to Judaism. I've always been a Jew. Number two, he says the tribe of Benjamin. Why does that like matter? Well, there's two tribes that stuck around with David when David had the rebellion with his son. Ten tribes came against him. Two tribes stuck with him, Judah and Benjamin. He's like, yo, I'm one of the like elite who stuck with, like my forefathers are elite. Next he says, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What does that mean? Um, There were Greek speaking Jews. They took on Greek culture. They're called Hellenists. There were Jews by blood who took on Greek culture. Paul is saying, I'm a Jew through and through. My first language is Hebrew. I'm, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. This is just who I am. Not just by blood, but also social, not just racially, but socially. He goes, this is, this is the class I'm in. And then he says this, a Pharisee. Kind of like a mic drop. He's like, I'm one of 6,000. I was one of 6,000 of elite men in Israel. And even more than that, as we'll see. But he goes, I was one of 6,000 men who were educated and respected. He goes, I was a Pharisee. You know, Judaizers, you can't touch this, basically. Then he says, zealous. So the idea, he goes, I persecuted the church. You think you're an activist in this movement? I was the activist of activists. Look at all that I accomplished. I actually used to persecute the church of Jesus because I was so for this law and this religion. And then he says, I'm blameless. You see, the Pharisees would add to the law. They would take the law and they'd add to it. They'd take the word of God and add to it. And he goes, not only was I, not that he's sinless, but I was even blameless in our code of conduct. I went above and beyond what I needed to. So Paul's saying, you think your resume is good? Let me talk to you about my resume. 
Now, now here's why this is so important. Paul did have a great, great portfolio. Paul did have a great resume. The idea of a resume, let's kind of keep this in mind. What is the whole purpose of a resume? The purpose of a resume is to say, look at me. I stand out. Look at my achievements. Look at my accomplishments. Guess what? You, Mr. Worker, Mr. Employer, you want me. You want to hire me. I have a resume that is above all resumes. And there's a sense that comes from like pride in this. There's a sense of like safety in this. Like, look how great I am. Look at all that I've accomplished. Paul is saying, look at all that I've done. And here's why this is so important. We still have this mentality today. Because I think we live in a resume-filled mentality. Where like you walk into a room, there's some social gathering, it's like, this is who I am, this is what I've done, this is how much I make, and we live in this resume-filled mentality. I, I feel like this happens with even just dating today in 2019, like online dating. It's like, I don't have time to get to know someone. Give me your resume. <laughs> who, who are you? Where do you work? How, how tall are you? What's your job? What's your, like, you know, like and we go through, it's like, I'm looking for someone six one, dark brown hair, reddish beard, big dimples, you know? Like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you're like, go through this resume. That's my wife's. That's what she was looking for when she found me on. I'm just kidding. But the point, like we do this, we try to put ourselves out there and be like, look, look how amazing I am. Look how incredible I am. And Paul's like, this resume mentality has to stop. This resume mentality has to die. Okay, he goes, guess what? I had the resume of resumes and it's junk to me. What I want you to see is like, we do have, why why is there this side of affirm me? Affirm me. Look how good I am. Look how great I am. Look at my resume. Affirm me. You want me. We do this with God. God, God, you want me in your church. I mean, I go on mission trips. I give. I do these things for you, God. You want me. And we kind of put ourselves out there in this way, and God, it's like it's rubbish. See, there's a side where we got to get away from religion. We got to get, get away from the res- resume mentality. And the reason why I bring that up is think about this. It's not just religious. Some of you here go, I don't need God. I don't believe in God. I'm a good person. I make a lot of money. I give a lot of my money away. I'm very kind to other people, and I'm not even religious. So therefore, and you're still boasting in your resume. You're still boasting in your righteousness. See, everyone's righteous. They try to boast either in their righteousness or another's righteousness whether it's religious or irreligious. You see, some people do view Christianity as this. Stop being irreligious and be religious. So some people who maybe grew up around the church, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I've talked to a lot of people who say, hey, I tried Christianity, it didn't work for me. And I'm like, no, you tried religion. Because a lot of times they go, I didn't uh, didn't break the law. Now I, I just decided to break the law. Or vice versa. Hey, I didn't go to church, and then I went to church. I didn't give, then I gave. I didn't do things for God, then I did things for God, and, like, and it didn't work for me. And it's like, well, you just started adding things to your life. You're just trying religion. You didn't really try Jesus. You didn't really taste and see that he is good. You're just adding more things onto your resume. It's a way for you to feel superior. It's a way to, for you to feel better. It's a way for you to boast in your performance. It's a way for you to find meaning in yourself and not meaning in what Christ has done. And we do this time and time again. And guys, this can be for the Christians who grew up in the church. This can be for the non-Christian who thinks they don't need God. We all like to boast in our resume. And Paul's like, we're done with resumes. Spiritual resumes, unspiritual resumes, we're, bu- we're done with resumes. Your resume, your merit badges, how filled they are will always fall short. It will never be enough. And you'll either walk around incredibly guilt-filled or incredibly prideful. And he's like, it's not going to be enough. And he's basically saying, I had, this, I had all the resume. And in verse 7, he goes, and, and here is the solution. And here is the remedy. But I, before we move on to verse 7, I do want you guys to kind of examine yourself really quick. Where is there this mentality in your life where you still feel like you need to prove yourself? You still feel like you need to boast in what you do? You still feel like you need to mention or just kind of drop that comment to make yourself feel superior than someone else? Like, well, I know they do this, but I actually, I know, I actually get, and it's like, what is that thing? 
And I would say, listen, we got to. We got to fight this resume mentality. We got to start, start talking about what we don't do or what we do, and by looking at Jesus as that substitution. Again, salvation isn't a matter of subtraction or addition, but it's substitution. It's Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, here's the remedy for the religion stuff. Here's the remedy for all the resumes we try to throw out at people. And verse 7, and let's look at the remedy. And let's, can we just take some time on this? Verse 7 through 11. Let's look at verse 7. Paul says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Really quick, if you're an accountant in this room, I don't know if you, if there are, it's tax season, maybe you're probably not here because you're busy. Um, but the idea of this, Paul is literally using this bookkeeping, this accounting terminology. He goes, I counted things, look at the word count and gain and loss, but what things were gained to me, these I've counted as loss. He's really doing something really that we all need to do. He's taking inventory of his life, and he's counting things in his life as what really matters, what really matters. I think a lot of us need to look and start counting what matters in our life, what really matters. Can I, can I just, the whole bookkeeping, accounting illustration, it's like we have gains, we have losses. Paul said, these things used to be on the gain list, these other things used to be on the loss list. He goes, I flipped that list. What was lost to me is now gain. What was gained to me is now loss. See, Paul is basically saying the things I used to value, I just don't value anymore. The things I didn't really care about, now that's all I care about. There's something when you've tasted and seen the Lord is good where like your desires begin to completely, the things that you once fought for, you're no longer fighting for. The things that you're like, oh, this is so discouraging. I can't believe I lost this. And like you'd go into depression. You're like, it doesn't, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't phase me because it doesn't really matter anyways. Paul is saying my gains have gone to my losses. My losses have gone to my gains. My, my, my liabilities are now my assets. He's basically saying everything's flipped upside down. Everything's been changed over. For you accountants, this is your verse. Remember that. Verse 8. Go, he goes on and he says this. Yet indeed, listen, I count all things, all things now, loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all, of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. He goes, I count now all things loss. All things loss. I want to read this verse to you in the NLT. And we'll put it up here because I just think it's so, just, just enjoy it. Enjoy as we read it. Uh, it's Philippians 3, verse 7 and 8 in the NLT. He says this, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Paul's resume, as we mentioned, was incredible. Not only was he a Pharisee, he's part of the Sanhedrin. I mean, he's one of the 70 Jewish elite men. I mean, Paul, if you've gone to Israel, it's interesting. You can like go in on the corners. They'll be like literally like, I don't know, what's the word, murals to like rabbis. Like there's like famous rabbis. Like, oh my gosh, that's Rabbi Shimei. Like, oh, that's Rabbi Hillel. And it's, it's really interesting how like they have their like elite. This is Paul. I mean, Paul probably had a home in Jerusalem, probably was incredibly wealthy. Paul had a lot of class and relationships and friendships. And he goes, I gave that all up for Christ. It, mean, it means nothing. Everything I once had, he goes, I've given it up. Guess what? Paul's now in prison. Paul's now chained to a soldier, and he goes, and it's worth it. I'm chained to a soldier 24-7, and it's, it's so much better than what I once had in Jerusalem, being honored, being respected, actually suffering, and not just suffering from other non-believers and by being in prison, but other Christians who are hurting, hurting my reputation. It's all worth it. It's all worth it. I count all of my old life as garbage compared to where I'm at now. I, I do want us to like, I want all of us to like let this sink in, I guess. Um, I know a lot of people here have different stories, different testimonies. 
I mean, some of you have given up a lot to follow Christ. I mean, I think regardless, even if you grew up in the faith, you gave up a lot to follow Christ. Because you said, I'm going to make decisions and sacrifices from an early age for Jesus Christ. And Paul says it's all been worth it. All the things I've sacrificed for Jesus has been absolutely worth it. And, and it's interesting, he uses this word, I know it's, when he says the word garbage, he's trying to like make a shock and awe moment. It's this word, this garbage, this word scubalon. Everyone say scubalon. Scubalon. It's literally, it's animal dung. I mean, it's, it's not even fair, like if I were to try to translate scubalon, into English, I'd probably be in deep scubalon. Like that's, it's a very dangerous word Paul's making. Honestly, he's literally trying to make you shock and odd. He's trying to say, my whole life, my whole pedigree, it is, gar- it is animal feces compared to Christ. I want you to understand, he's trying to like shock the people, go, what are you saying? He goes, look at everything I've ever had, everything I've ever lived for, it's nothing. It literally even refers to the dung gate. In Israel, there'd be a dung gate where you think about today, we have modern sewage and plumbing. I mean, they would have a gate where there's sewage and feces and vomit. I mean, anything that was gross and disgusting would flow out of the dung gate away from the people. And Paul's saying that my old life, my righteousness that I love so much, my pedigree I had, he goes, it's the dung gate. It is the thing that makes the city smell disgust. It's, that is my good stuff. I mean, Isaiah said the same thing in Isaiah 64, 6. Our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. My good things, says filthy rags before the Lord. He's trying to shock and awe people and saying, do you not see how much more valuable Christ is? You see, at nighttime, there's the glory of the stars, but when the sun comes out, the glory of the sun diminishes the glory of the stars. And here's what he's saying. The surpassing knowledge of Christ, the glory of the sun, takes away from all that other glory. You see, I really do wonder, I really do wonder, myself, yourself, if we have the blessing and opportunity to even have a deathbed, will you look back and say, what did I do? Why, why did I use my time this way? Why did I hurt my friends this way? Why did I use my money this way? Why did I do this to my kid? Why did I think that I could enable them and it help them? And I, or we look back and be like, everything, everything I did, as soon as Christ grabbed hold of my heart, everything I did was for him. Everything I did was for the purpose of knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. It just completely, I, I really do hope we can have this mindset today of we are not one guaranteed a deathbed. And two, I hope we can have that mindset of God, if I were to have that, I can look back in my life and say, no, it was done for Jesus. That, that honestly, the glory of the stars that I was chasing when the sun came out, I couldn't even see the stars anymore because that bright star just took over. And when I saw Jesus, the things I was pursuing, money, fame, just being known, wisdom, education, all those things I was pursuing, it's nothing. The sun came out and all the stars diminished. Their surpassing knowledge of Christ just made everything else pale in comparison. All of its garbage, its animal feces, my good things, my best things, my wealth, my knowledge, my information, my class, my status, it's garbage compared to Christ. Paul is, is really trying to shock and awe his people saying, stop boasting in your resume. I had the resume of resumes and it's still nothing compared to Jesus Christ. Amen. And then in verse 9 through 11, he does something, this progression that is beautiful. He talks about being saved, and in this salvation, how he wants to grow and know Christ, and then he talks about resurrection. So in verse 9 through 11, we've talked about this before, salvation has kind of a threefold parts to it, I guess. There's justification, there's sanctification, there's glorification. You can see that up here. Verse 9 deals with justification. Verse 10 deals with sanctification. Verse 11 deals with glorification. And here's what Paul's basically saying. If you're like, those words, what does that mean? We'll talk about those words. Don't worry. Let's look at verse 9. Verse 9, he says, and, listen, I know all this is rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him. 
not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. There's this word righteousness or righteous that we can kind of throw out there a lot. I can say it a lot. We can say it. I think a lot of times we kind of associate it with moral things. Like it's a moral thing. Like, oh, that person's so righteous. We view it as like a spiritual or moral thing. When in reality, that word righteous is a legal word. It's not so much even a moral word. It is. But it's more so a legal term saying they're, they're declared innocent. They're made clean in the process. Here's what Paul's saying. He goes, I once pursued the law for my righteousness. The law, pursuing the law for right is never attainable. So I gave that up. He's like, so now I have Christ's righteousness applied to me through my faith in Jesus. He basically said, I copied and pasted Jesus' life to my life by faith. I love copying and pasting things. It's very helpful for me in life. Um, copy and paste. I, I need shortcuts for that. I honestly look at Jesus and say, hey, copy and paste. That's what faith does. I looked, I looked at faith in Jesus Christ. I'm copying and pasting my sin, my junk onto him, and his righteousness and holiness and perfect life onto my account. And, th- and this is what's happening in verse 9. He goes, by faith, by faith in Jesus. By faith in Jesus, I'm righteous. By faith in Jesus, I'm made right before God. He's basically describing, you know, it's funny, we've talked about justification before as, maybe you've heard this, or maybe I've said this, I'm not sure, but justified, just if I'd never sinned before. If you're like, what does that mean? Like justification, justified, justified, never sinned before. Cheesy way to remember it. But it's not just that. It's not justified, never sinned before. It's justified, never sinned before, and if I've always obeyed. See, when God says you're justified, it's like, you're not just the, the, the swipe, the, the slate is made clean, but I'm also adding on my son's righteousness to your life. And it's as if you've always obeyed me. And it's as if you've always obeyed me because Jesus did that. And that's applied to your account. And he goes, this is, by, this is how I want to stand before God. He says that word found in him, found in him in verse 9. That's used over a hundred times in the New Testament by Paul. He's basically saying, I'm going to be hidden in Christ. When Christ, who is our life, appears, we also appear with him in glory. And he says, because I was hidden in him. I was hidden, I was in Christ, Christ is in me, and he goes, I'm found in him. I want to be found in him. On judgment day, on the day before all of us stand before God, he goes, I want to be found in Christ. Like, if I had an empty cup of water here, a glass cup, and I place an object in there, you can't see that object without seeing the cup, and you can't see the cup without seeing the object. That's the idea of being found in Christ. There's an empty cup in here that's clear all around, I place an object, you can see the object, but you see it through the cup. And you can see the cup, you can see the, uh, the cup as well and the object. It's just all in one. And that D is like, I just want to be found in Jesus. I want to be found in him. And then in verse 10, he's saying, not just be found in him, not just have salvation, but I also want to grow and gain knowledge and relationship with him. Look at verse 10 now. This is the sanctification part of growing in that. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's just break this down really quick. First part, that I may know him. Circle the word know, the word K-N-O-W. I may know him. We went through First John, like right before we even started this church, we talked a lot about that word know. It's this word gnosko. It means to know by experience, to know intimately. So I know things, and then I know things. I know E equals MC squared, but I don't know what that means. But I know that. I know equal E equals MC squared, but can I tell you, I also know my wife. And we have one word, no. They had a lot of different words. There's like, oh, I know two plus two is four, but then I know Jesus. I can know Jesus. Paul's like, I want to know him. Can I tell you something? Paul knew Jesus. And he's like, but I want to know him more. Like, I know him, but it's not enough. Hey, I know a lot of you know Jesus. I know a lot of you know about Jesus, but know him more. 
You know, the thing I, th- I think a lot of us can know Jesus on an academic level, but do you know Jesus? You know, I can know celebrities from afar because today you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram. You can, know, you can almost feel like you know them. If you ever see one in real life, I know you. They're like, you're crazy. Like, I, you don't know me. I don't know you. But you must feel like, I think some of us are like, do that. Like, oh, I know God. I follow the Bible on Twitter. <laughs> like, okay, you, you have some information about him. But the side of like, do you, do you know him? Do you know him? Does he know you? Are you honest with him? Do you hide things from him? Like, he knows you, of course. But do you know him? You know, I think of the idea of Adam and Eve, and when they covered themselves up with the fig leaves, and like, hey, God, nothing happened. It's like, I'm just wearing fig leaves. And I just think about that. And it's like, again, they try to cover themselves in their righteousness. He's like, no, no, that's not going to work. And God has to slaughter an animal and cover them in, in his righteousness. And there's a side of this where it's like, Paul's saying, I wanted to be, yes, I want to know him that way, and I, want, I just want to know him more, though. Like, I don't want to just be covered by Jesus' righteousness, but I also want to know him on top of that. I want to be saved, but I want to grow in my salvation. I want that I may know him. I mean, is this not the cry of like every author in the Psalms? Or is it in the Old Testament in general? Is it not in David in Psalm 42, where David says, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. He's like, as the deer's exhausted and looking for water, that's why I pant for you, God. It's David, it's, it's Moses in Exodus 33. He goes, God, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. And God's like, I can't hide behind this rock. And you can see like my back. That's about it. That's all I can show you. And I think there's a side where it's like there's this desperation to know God. And guys, I'd say there's a difference between, what's the difference you could say? What's the difference between Christianity and this religion or that? There's this deep longing to know God, not just know about him, not just be familiar with him, not just to go, I sing here, I read here, I go home now, I live out my Monday. It's like, no, no, we want to know Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. Let me just say this. If you don't know God, you can know God. Let me say this. God knows you. God wants to get to know you more. God wants you to get to know him more. There's a side of it where like, we can be open and honest before God. I would say this, know, get to know your God. You know, this is one of those things for me where I'm always so challenged by, I'm challenged by the busyness and pace of life, of ministry. And there's sometimes this time where God's like, hey, but do you know me? Like, I know you know, I know you know about, do you know me? Are you spending, like, hey, I miss you. Like, sometimes I feel like God's like, hey, I miss you. I'm like, yeah, I'm busy, God. <laughs> like, and I feel like God's like, guys, I want to know you. Because I may know him. And Paul has like one of those kind of um, gladiator brave heart statements where he's like, that I may know him, verse 10. And then he says, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Like Paul, and let's just talk about this two part. He goes, I want to know the power of the resurrection. I want to know the power of the resurrection. Meaning I want to know Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to experience what Jesus lived by the power of the Holy Spirit on earth. I also want to live by the power of the Holy Spirit on earth. Uh, uh, Jesus, the one who conquered death, and rose again, lives in me. I want to know that. I want to tap into that more. Christians, don't you want to tap into the power of the resurrection that lives in us through Jesus Christ? He's like, I want to know him more. I want to experience him more. I want to trust him more. I want to experience the power of God more in my life. But it's not just for selfish reasons. I think we can read this verse and view it selfishly. Uh, One commentator named D.A. Carson said this, and it's so good, verse 10. He said, what the apostle wants, look at this quote, what the apostle wants then is not power so that he might be thought powerful, but power so that he might be conformed to the will of God. Only the power that brought Jesus back from death will do. It's not just power for the sake of power, but I want this power to conform me to the will of God. I just want to be made like Jesus in this. 
and we so often skip the last phrase. I want to know him, the power of the resurrection, and the fellowship of sufferings. Like, this is, this is the part, too, that I think we want to pass on, but we cannot. Can I tell you guys, I think there's no greater way to get to know Jesus than through suffering, and as much as, much as I don't want that, as much as I don't want that for others, and sometimes I know it's the most necessary thing for me and for you. The way you can get to know Jesus is through the fellowship of suffering. You know, this, this verse goes so much just against any and all prosperity theology because it's sometimes like you will suffer. You will suffer. There will be pain. There will be loss. There will be heartache. But guess what? God of the universe suffered and you get to join him and you get to know him in a deeper and more intimate way. I'm so thankful God's not in heaven being like, oh, I'm sorry you're suffering. I don't know what that's like. I'm God. <laughs> no. God's like, I know what that's like. I actually willingly suffered. Your suffering, you can relate to me more now than you ever have the fellowship of suffering. And then verse 11 is, don't let it be confusing. If by any means I might attain to the resurrection, Paul's not like, I really hope I'm going to heaven. That's not what he's saying at all. It's actually, the resurrection, by the way, is not going to heaven. If you and I died today, we, if you believe in Jesus, the Bible says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. I believe that our spirit, our soul, our consciousness is with the presence of God, absolutely. But there's something called the resurrection day. There's something about a day where God will resurrect, or our soul, our conscience, our spirit will be re- reunited with our body that God will make new. I mean, this is what he does. God made us from dust. He can make us from dust all over again. And there's this day we're looking for where we're with Christ, with this new resurrected body. And Paul's basically saying here, that might happen in my lifetime. Hopefully in my lifetime, this resurrection day will happen. Not, not necessarily that I, you know, he's not saying I hope I make it. He said, I hope Jesus comes back and makes everything new in my lifetime. And that is something I hope for. <laughs> I, hope that, I hope that Jesus in our day comes back and makes all things new. I mean, you guys, it's, it's interesting. I know when you say that out loud, when you tell someone who's not a believer in Jesus, like, yo, Jesus come back, like, you're crazy. <laughs> like, you are a psycho. When you say, no, Jesus come back, like, what do you, t-? stop. We doubted his first coming. The world doubted his first coming. The many doubted his second coming, but not us. We're going to be those who say, Maranatha, even so, Lord, come quickly. Jesus is like, I'm coming quickly. And then Paul's like, or John in Revelation is like, even so, come faster. <laughs> I'm coming quickly. Speed it up, Jesus, please. Like, I just want to be with you, that I may know you. And, and church, honestly, can this just be our heart cry? At the end of the day, I do want to, we do want to do, like our church, we do want to do great things for God. We, we hope we can pray. We can plant other churches one day. We hope and pray we can benefit the people in our community with gospel and with works, with love and mercy. There's so many things like that, absolutely. But at the end of the day, you guys, I want you to know Jesus. At the end of the day, I want you to long for the return of Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I don't want to be busy just doing things and missing out on Jesus. And also, I I want to like know Jesus and in so knowing Jesus, invite others to know Jesus and love and serve a community. There is this both and. But I want to primarily say, let's just sit at the feet of Jesus and know him. And so here's what we are going to do. We're going to close our time out with communion. We're going to close our time with this sense of remembering his death and his resurrection. Communion is a time, if you're new to this, you're going to get a little cup and a little cracker. And we look at that cup and we see this juice and we go, yes, this reminds me of Jesus' blood that was shed for my sins. We look at that cracker and say, and his body was given to me. His, by his stripes were healed. His body was given for my sins. Now listen, church, please don't miss this. Please listen up. Communion can become something where we just kind of go through the habit of communion, like our morning prayer, and like, God bless this day. Communion can just be something we do. Please do not let it be that. I'm going to ask in this time, when, when Paul says that I may know him, hey, you guys, as you look at that cracker and as you look at that cup, say, Jesus, I want to know you. Let these external things be a reminder that you live and dwell in me, that God, as I consume this cracker and drink this cup, 
that in a sense, Jesus, like you do dwell in me, that your, your blood has atoned or washed over my sins, that your body was broken so I wouldn't have to be. And just enjoy Jesus in this moment. And so if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, and if you get served, you can let it pass. There's no need to take, no need to remember something you don't believe in. But if you say, no, no, I, I, I believe in Jesus, even if you've never even said that, or take it. Talk out loud with Jesus. Tell us. Make it known and say, hey, no, I took communion for the first time today because you know what? I want to follow Jesus. Do that. What a great day to start following Jesus, the day we remember his death and resurrection. Let's do that. So I'm going to pray. And then in a second, we're going to pass out some communion. We're going to end with some worship. And when you're ready, take communion at your seat. And then I'm going to come up here, pray, and we'll have some closing thoughts. All right? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to pass out some communion. Father, we just, um, we're just humbled. God, there's a lot that I, I really right now don't know what to say other than please, we ask that you would just speak and show up more, more now than maybe we have experienced. God, I know there's people here who maybe don't believe in you, who haven't accepted you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would. As Paul said, everything I ever lived for was garbage to me. I just want to know Jesus. I want to know the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. I just want to know Jesus. God, I pray that would be my heart cry, everyone's heart cry in this room. As we're just even served communion and look at that cup and look at that bread, we're reminded of the sacrifice you made for us, Jesus. We're reminded of your great love that God, where there's love, there's giving. Where there's love, there's sacrifice. And so we just thank you now and praise you for this sacrifice. And Jesus, we just want to enjoy you. Even during worship, would you just speak to our hearts? Would you just speak to all of our hearts, God, something personal? Lord, I ask that you'd speak over your word into us. Say, none of this matters. Believe in me. Surrender to me. Jesus, I just ask that you do a new work in our lives. Even for Christians who've been following you for a while. God, I ask there to be a sense, a reminder of your deep love in this moment, and that we can just enjoy you in your wonderful name. Amen. Guys, feel free to just come forward, pass out communion, take it when you're ready, and join us in worship.